Welcome to Between the Waves, the podcast all about how to create sustainable mental health to help you find a little bit of space between your waves. Hey everyone, it's Hannah here. Today I'm joined by Susie Bashford. Susie is a writer, workshop facilitator, speaker and soon-to-be podcaster. She lives in the awesome Scottish Highlands with her husband, two boys and dog Bramble. Susie has designed a big, juicy, creative life to help her manage her mental health and applies a dollop of creativity to everything she does, from work to wild swimming. Hi Susie, how are you? Hello, Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Cool. So in these interesting times we're living in at the moment, I've got to ask the question, how are you doing in lockdown? Well, I feel very privileged because I'm, as you said in your intro, I'm in the Scottish Highlands. I live in the Cairngorms National Park, so I'm incredibly lucky. So lockdown for me has been a pretty good experience, uh, full of hikes and bikes and, you know, all sorts of things in nature. Lots of time with the kids because I was furloughed for most of it. So I feel like for me, I've been incredibly lucky. So it's it's going it's going well. Now, as we're coming out of lockdown and the kids are on summer holiday and there's no activity camps and there's no homeschool or anything. Now I'm hitting the more stressful bit, I think. Yeah, definitely. That's certainly hit me this week. Like, oh, the kids are breaking up and I don't know what to do. <laughs> I know they've got nothing to do. No, no holiday camps or anything. So um, they've been gate crashing a lot of my Zoom calls. And it's funny the first time, but probably not the hundredth time for my colleagues. But uh, yeah, we're yeah. working for it. It's tricky, but lots of people are in the same situation, aren't they? And hopefully you know, fingers crossed, we'll keep moving in the right direction and, and keep kind of releasing lockdown and more things might start up. But it's been a it's been a difficult journey. And I think a lot of people m- may have been struggling with their mental health, and it could have triggered some things for people. Certainly, I've recognised the fact that I haven't had a lot of time to myself. So whereas I would normally have headspace and time to kind of recover and that downtime, mm. I just haven't had that it's running from one thing to the next. I've definitely noticed that because you're obviously working all the way through it. I've definitely noticed going back to work that lack of headspace, which is so detrimental to to mental health. I've definitely noticed that. Yeah. And it's just looking at what can we do? Where can we find those tiny pockets of time to just have a breath and be still and recover Mm -hmm. from from what's going on? Mm. Um, Hopefully we'll find more of those as the time goes on. We're getting sort of more used to working in this way, I guess. And uh, Well, that's the positive, isn't it? I mean, we used to bang on about work-life balance and we can do it from home and companies were a bit real reluctant. Well, I think the world has shown we can work from home. We are working from home and it's a different experience and we're much more welcoming of kids and recognition that people have whole full lives. So I'm really optimistic that we'll go back and actually for mental health, there'll be some really positive changes. That's my optimistic take on it. Yeah, and I love that. I definitely feel that we've become much more accepting of alternative working patterns and people's different preferences. Yeah. Being able to say, do you know what? Actually, I can't do 10 hours of meetings back to back on Zoom. I actually need an hour's break to to recover (laughs) and and to just have some downtime. And I think that's that's definitely been the the joy for me of, of lockdown and learning about 
your colleagues in a way that you probably wouldn't have normally you know you can see the inside of their houses for a start and you can know fascinating conversation yeah definitely I just hope as we emerge out of it people do stick to their guns and sort of we don't go back we don't revert to bad habits and people do sort of say this works for me I want to hold on to this flexibility I want to keep working in this way and then we will get the positive outcomes we want yeah definitely so uh, I'm keen to know in your biography that you you sent to me um it was absolutely fascinating in terms of the things that you've done like inviting celebrities for play dates (laughs) I just I want to know a bit about how it started how did your mental health journey sort of begin this question really gave me food for thought because you sent it through to me before and I was thinking there's two parts to it because my mental ill health journey started quite quite in my 20s basically um I'd always worked really hard at school I'd always been the archetypal good girl trying to get you know the best grades and trying to do really well in all the sports teams and all this putting a lot of pressure on myself which worked okay as a life strategy throughout school and then I went to university and the pressure was mounting And then I did a master's in European business. And that's when I'd say was my first breakdown. I say breakdown because usually that would infer you might stop. But but the thing is that I never stopped. So I had my first breakdown at about 21 doing this master's. So I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I had this horrible thing where I used to retch because I was so tight the whole time. I basically used alcohol to self-medicate, to calm myself down. I wasn't socializing properly. So all these you know, really unhealthy things were happening to me. But still, I pushed through that master's because all I wanted to do was get through it. At that point, anxiety was just a complete inconvenience to my life. And I just wanted to get that master's with this pressure on myself. I just kept going. And in fact, I ended up getting a distinction in the master's. And I look back now and think, wow, I put so much pressure on myself. I could have taken off a little bit and just, you know, got an average pass or whatever. That would have been fine. But no, so I held on. And then I went into next time I had a breakdown was probably a few years later when I took this job that I saw as quite a pressurized job. And again, the same thing happened and the pressure came and the insomnia and the sickness and the medicating and the not eating. But again, I was not listening to it. I was just pushing through, pushing through. And I look back on it and I think it's because I had this idea that life was like a conveyor belt. There was this conveyor belt that you got on at school and you worked really hard, head down, work really hard, keep, keep going, keep going. And if you keep going this pre- on this um, conveyor belt, you go through school, you get good grades, you go to a good university, you go do a master's, you meet the man of your dreams, you get married, you have kids, and then you're at this destination called success. So I had this like really clear, linear idea of life in my head. And so that meant that I kept having these breakdowns. I mean, I had another one uh, just after I got married. So getting married was actually not stressful, but I put a lot of pressure on myself at the time. I took on a lot of work and we arranged around the world trip for our honeymoon. Um, So I was actually really happy, but I'd put a lot of pressure on myself. So literally we organized a wedding, we got married, we went around the world and then we went, we walked to Everest Base Camp as part of our honeymoon. And then I had a breakdown there. So the irony of being on top of the world and actually at rock bottom is not lost on me. But still, I started thinking, oh, this is maybe trying to tell me something. But again, I was so fixed with this conveyor belt. I was like, oh, my goodness, it's happening again. How annoying. That was the first time I had suicidal thoughts, which I remember really clearly, because you go over these really massive 
amazingly um, beautiful, gorgeous, with very uh, sort of ramshackled um, bridges across them that are very um, wobbly. And you look down and I just kept thinking, I could just jump and that would be the end of it. I remember thinking, hmm, those thoughts are probably not great to be having. And I got extremely ill because I was on Everest and there was no help at all. So you get get anxiety and insomnia are common um, side effects anyway of altitude. So it made everything much, much worse. My body was absolutely exhausted, but still I pushed on, got home, got a bit of therapy, didn't fully engage in it because actually all I wanted the therapy to do was get me back on this conveyor belt. So I got better And then again, um, as soon as I got off antidepressants, I was like, right, husband, now the next thing is to tick on the box is have kids. We have to have kids. Come on, let's get going. And of course, (laughs) I mean, looking back, it all makes perfect sense now. But at the time, it didn't. I was so fixed on the conveyor belt. So, of course, as soon as I got pregnant, didn't even wait for the postnatal usual sort of depression. I just went straight into antenatal depression, straight into that bad place and these breakdowns were getting more and more intense. So it was pretty intense when I was pregnant. And then you asked when the mental health journey started and take a long time to get to the answer. But the journey started when I became a mum, because at that point, I couldn't keep up the facade. I couldn't keep on that conveyor belt. I had to get off the conveyor belt because I had another person to think about. And I couldn't keep pushing. I had to break and I, I I broke big time. I ended up in a mother and baby unit with my first child. I was there for 12 weeks. It was really intense. And I had to face the reality that I was well and truly not on the conveyor belt and I couldn't get off. But then I had to look at it. I had to look for the first time properly at, right, instead of just trying to shove this anxiety out the way and push on through, what is it trying to tell me? What is it trying to tell me about the way I've been living, the way I've been thinking, the way I've not been looking after myself, what do I need to do? And I started reading stuff that started resonating. I started doing mindfulness. And then I just gave myself the permission to get off that bloody conveyor belt, sorry to swear. And I actually started having this thought, maybe the scenic route is actually not a failure. Maybe the scenic route for me is where the life is. And so I started on this journey when I became a mum, I think, of really listening to the anxiety and trying to unpick all those breakdowns before and think what was going on and what do I need to do and how do I need to live? That's a very long answer. (laughs) No, but you know, there's so much in there that I want to unpick. I can just, it is an absolute fraction of my own story in terms of that high achieving convey about you know mm-hmm. this is what happens next perfectionistic you know? yeah. completely thinking life had to be linear and perfect absolutely yeah. and like this idea that success is a fixed point in time like once I've done that I'll be successful it's fine you ridiculous. know I've just got to get to that point I've just got to get there and it'll all be fine it's absolutely ridiculous it but it's really in so is. many of our minds it's so into our social conditioning into the advertising we see oh yes selling Films. us success as a destination absolutely and and that that inability to go do you know what I'm having a breakdown I'm gonna stop and reevaluate my life you know Mm. and I totally I totally get that it it's 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 so hard to do because everything is geared up to getting you back onto that conveyor belt everything Mm -hmm. 
and it's just it's so difficult to stop and 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 that's why our bodies make us I truly believe that I was so pig-headed that I would not stop I mean I remember um I met my husband at university so we've been together over 20 years and he's been with me through so much of this and he's been an amazing support and so many times he encouraged me to get off the conveyor belt and be kinder to myself but you've got to get there yourself yeah you really do and it's what is it that's going to flick that switch for any individual person is going to be different isn't it and Mm. and like you for me it was children you know having Mm. kids being unable to fake it anymore you know Mm. Mm. kids kids have this wonderful way don't they of of like mommy I know you're not all right (laughs) what's going on that they can see through that mask can't they Absolutely. And you're responsible for somebody else. So it takes you out of your head a little bit because it's not all about you anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And setting that example, isn't it? Like, I don't want my kids to be stuck on a conveyor belt where they make themselves ill constantly to achieve this nonsensical point of success that doesn't really (laughs) exist. That's not what I want for their lives. I know, I know. uh, And that has been a massive learning for me. And I'm so, I look at it now, you know, you hear all these people that have breakdowns and it sounds a bit trite and they go, I'm so glad, I'm so grateful. And so I'm aware that I sound a bit like that. And obviously I'm sad that I spent quite a lot of time been really unwell but actually being that unwell has made me live so the trendy word now is consciously isn't it live so much (laughs) thinking with intention and 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 how I want to live and not blindly getting on that conveyor belt absolutely absolutely and you know I'm not down with the kids I don't know what the latest words are but but for (laughs) me it's it's being true to myself and and I use the word awesome to reflect that like I want to live awesomely and and that incorporates all of those things that that for me are awesome about life you know Mm -hmm. being true to myself being honest being able to have time to stop and appreciate the amazing stuff that's going on around me and laugh with the kids and be ridiculous you know and that to me is where success if that even is a thing lies it's in the small moments it's not some grand destination for me it's in those connective small moments where you feel truly joy-filled and happy and realizing that has just transformed my life you know there's not one destination or accolade or anything that I could get that could fill me with that yeah it's just a completely different way of looking at life so I have worked really hard and I still work really hard because my conditioning is such that it's so hardwired that I do occasionally try and get back on that scramble on that conveyor belt and I get anxious I, I mean none of us can escape anxiety in life particularly at the moment we're in a global pandemic um so it is part of life but I think it's just been much more aware of it and aware of what's driving it and then being able to say to yourself look Susie that's that's your whatever you want to call it your inner child your ego whatever it is wanting to get on the conveyor belt and you know where that leads and you don't want to get on it so I'm constantly talking to myself still but yeah life is a lot better yeah and that's fabulous but you're right it it does take that constant work doesn't it that constant readjustment of boundaries and yes reminding yourself that what you see on Instagram and on the TV isn't real 
Yeah, and it's it's designed to go into our brains and it's designed to be addictive and it's designed for us to believe. And it is difficult. I still get drawn in to looking at it and looking at other people's lives and thinking, oh, that looks really good. And then it's talking to yourself and bringing you back and reminding yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That what what is it that I really want? And actually, mm. I don't want, you know, a massive house that I have to work a million hours a week to kind of be able to afford, you know, it's 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 checking that, isn't it? Just checking yeah. in like what what is it that I really want? And, yeah. and actually I've found that I've completely reevaluated the things that I will watch on TV, for example, and the things that I will look at on social media. I've completely changed that, you know, because I don't want those aspirational lifestyle kind of things because I don't want that pressure. Yeah. And it is pressure. So when we were speaking before, you mentioned that part of your recovery came from pretending to be a superhero and setting yourself challenges. (laughs) Where did that idea come from? Well, it's funny because you were talking about uh, talking to your child and the conversations you have with them. Well, that's where it came from. So I have two little boys who are totally obsessed with superheroes. <laughs> and when they were younger, they used to constantly uh, dress up as Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, whatever it was. And I would watch them and, you know, they put on these suits and suddenly they'd be like, I am Superman. I am strong. I'm confident. And they just completely transform um, and inhabit their bodies in a different way and my eldest Toby who's a really empathetic wee boy I remember this conversation and um, he said to me oh mummy you seem a bit sad today and I remember saying something like oh yeah well mummy's just lost a bit of confidence but don't worry she'll get it back and he said well what you should do is you should find yourself a superhero because that's what you need you just need to be a superhero mummy and then you'll be really confident you can do anything you can save the world if you want to and I was just like do you know what Toby that might not be such a bad idea and I was recovering from postnatal depression and hazy and I felt like I had nothing to lose I felt like in that weird space where you're kind of coming out of rock bottom I had no friends uh I'd lost all my friends because it moved to new area and when you're in such an intense space it's difficult to make friends yeah I had this lady that used to come and see me from homestead and her job was to befriend me because I was so lonely I literally had no friends so Toby suggested that I should find myself a superhero and I sat down and I thought if I was a superhero what would my superpower be and I thought Well, it would be questioning and wondering because I'm always questioning things and being curious. And I'm a journalist and my job is to ask questions all the time. And what I do better than anyone else is ask stupid questions because the other people are too scared to ask. Because as a journalist, you've got to make sure you understand the story. And quite often I'll end up writing about things I don't understand. So I have to ask lots of stupid questions. So I decided that questioning and challenging and wondering was going to be my superpower so then was born wondering woman and I created a little emblem for her badge I really inhabited like they did I watched them and I thought how can I inhabit her how can I be her how can I use her energy and if I was her what could I do and then I sent myself on these missions and I just created so many like different missions to raise my confidence so I did all sorts of crazy things from Things like, um, well, as you said, I, I emailed uh, Sarah Beanie and asked her if she'd had a, a play date with me. because She's got four young boys at the time, four young boys who also like superheroes. She said yes. I went to her house. It was 
great experience. Another time I I didn't, I had lost confidence in my body. So I thought, what can I do about that? So then I decided to have a boudoir shot and, you know, have a um, photograph taken completely in the nude. So that was uh, pretty mental. And, but one of my favorite ones, I think was, I was reading Psychology's magazine. It's my favorite magazine. And I actually write for quite a lot now. And there was an interview with a beat poet called Kat Brogan lovely lovely girl and I read the article and thought she sounds really interesting I wonder if if I tweet her and ask her if she'd spend a day with me and my four-year-old a creative day I wonder what she'd say and so I just said look I'm writing a book on creativity I'd love to spend a day with you and she said yes so we had the most magical magical day in London we went to the story center and we dressed up with Toby who was then four of course he wore his spider-man outfit that day all around London I think and everybody was looking at us this weird trio dressed up and playing games and she did a little poetry performance for him in the story center then we went out to lunch to her greasy cafe which was full of wonderful characters and then she took us to the Haygate estate which is a council estate in uh, Elephant Castle that was at the time just about to be bulldozed and it was really surreal because most people had left so it was just empty uh, shells of houses and there was only a couple of people there who were refusing to leave because it had been their home all their life and it was so powerful going there Toby was asking all these questions and there was a, a graffiti artists painting all over the walls and it was just the most profound experience being in this council estate that was just about to be bulldozed and seeing all these empty houses of lives that had left and nothing there but the the nature growing up in between the paving stones like the dandelions were pushing through so even though in a way hope hope has been lost nature is still there pushing through and the artists are still there with their cans and making these pictures and we're with this poet who's doing her beat poet renditions and Toby's there in his superhero costume looking on in complete awe so that was amazing and then she took us back to her house which happened to be a squat and I was as, as we went she said oh by the way I live in squat are you okay with that I had these images of train spotting going from her going <laughs> bad mum moment should I be doing this and I was like oh let's just do it we've gone this far and again you know you have these perceptions of what a squat is and they're not quite the same and the thing I remember most is a massive drum kit in the living room and Toby just got on the drums with our flatmates and played drums it was just an incredible experience that I suppose the fact that I was at rock bottom or coming out of it gave me permission to do and the fact that I just decided I was a superhero so I could do that and I've since found out that superhero psychology is a thing. So some psychologists use superheroes as a way to connect with their clients and give them confidence. You know, it's a Mm. recognized thing. And also there's a TED talk by Amy Cuddy. That's one of the most watched TED talks um, all about body language. And she talks in there about how if you stand like Wonder Woman before you do like a talk or something, you will feel more powerful. That's totally what I do. So actually, funnily enough, I went for a walk before this podcast and I stood on a bench and looked at a wonderful view and I pretended I was Wonder Woman. I put my sword in the air and then it was really embarrassing because a dog walker came and then I had to pretend (laughs) that I was doing some yoga pose because that's more, it's still a bit weird that you're standing on a bench doing a yoga pose, but less weird than trying to pretend to be Wonder Woman. Oh, it's a shame though, isn't it? That that's more socially acceptable to pretend to be doing yoga than than pretending to be a superhero. I think it is such a shame. I think we should change that, don't you? I really do. I would love to get to know like 
all my friends what their superheroes would be and and what their special powers are I just what a great idea fantastic. yeah we should do that so you've done all of these incredible things and these experiences and I I just having been in that place I cannot imagine being able to put myself out there like that I'm in so much awe of what you've done how did that change kind of how you were looking at your life you know what were those insights that you managed to kind of realize throughout all of that experience I was thinking about this as well and there was one insight that I had and you asked me as well like how did I know I was having that insight and the insight I had was this mantra kept coming to me when I was really unwell um, after my first child and it was there's beauty in shit there's beauty in shit because I was surrounded at that time by shit because as a mum you're changing nappies all the time you're wiping bums you're doing all this stuff and I also have a dog so as well as that I was picking up the dog's poo and I just felt at one point my whole life was poo it was poo everywhere everywhere as well as that you know it was <laughs> literal and met- metaphorical so my head was pretty pooey too and I just had this feeling that even though I was right in the middle of my shit there was going to be some value in it and I think I had this sort of idea and then I listened at that time all the time to Tara Brack. I don't know if you've heard of Tara Brack, but she's a psychologist and she takes, she merges Western and Eastern uh, philosophy. She's a Buddhist and she has a brilliant website. If any of your listeners out there um, are interested, it's tarabrack.com. So Brack is B-R-A-C-H.com. And she has lots of free audio talks. And I used to just, as a way to get rid of the poo in my head or at least distract from it I used to put Tara on she has these brilliant talks she's very funny and one of the things she talks about is how difficult experiences are the ones where you grow from you grow most from they're the most valuable ones so she always talks about oh here it comes a difficult experience time to grow belt up and I just had that feeling all the way through and I felt so strongly about this but I didn't like the fact that there was a swear word in it really especially because there's kids around so I actually again <laughs> again I reached out to uh, Mary Beard who's a Latin scholar she's often quoted in the press and yeah. she was mum something to do with mum net at the time and so I just emailed her and said Mary I wonder if you could help me I I have this phrase there's beauty and shit and I I'd love it if you could translate it for me Um, because I don't really like swearing (laughs) and she sent me back an email a lovely email and um, she actually put me in touch with a colleague who she thought could do it and um, it's infumo fuscally and that's my motto and I keep meaning to uh, paint it into like a coat of arms or something and put it above my door (laughs) that's amazing oh my gosh I love that I just having a mantra like for me I have I have mantras that get me through the day and they sort of change depending on you know what's going on so at the moment it's I can do hard things Mm. because stuff is really hard at the moment and I'm struggling and and so that's kind of and I use that to when my head goes to a bad place you know I'm like right no what's the mantra and I'll just repeat that until the bad kind of thoughts have have gone away and and I love that you've got your own like and you can build it into your life because you've got this one thing that means everything to you I just that's fabulous Yeah. And I think there's something if people are going through really difficult experience, I think there's no doubt about it. They do give the opportunity to learn and grow more than ever, more than when we're happy. I mean, obviously, it's horrible when you're going through it. But I did have this intense feeling that I would learn from it. And in fact, even at my absolute 
lowest so I remember a conversation with my husband uh, I was in hospital it was all quite bleak I was having loads of suicidal thoughts just all the time it was really wearing and um, it was hard for him my husband yeah. as well and he would say one time I remember he got really fed up of saying you know trying to persuade me that those weren't good thoughts he one day he just said okay okay fine so let's go with it if you have a week to live where are you what are you doing you know describe it you know just had a week to live and I was like oh um and then I knew I said to him I'd be in the highlands my favorite place I'd be in the hills we'd go for a really long hike and then you know maybe dip in a lock at the end go to my favorite outdoor pub sit in the beer garden have a beer and that would be perfect and he just said okay when this is over that's the life we're going to create oh wow I've probably got goosebumps. That's just, I mean, seriously, award for best partner ever, frankly. <laughs> Don't tell him that. <laughs> He's already got quite a big head. No, I do tell him all the time. And um, yeah, he, he was amazing throughout that period. But I suppose for your listeners, what I'm thinking is um, sometimes the good is really hidden. Like you, It's hard to see what good can come out of such a bad experience. But that is, I have literally changed my life for the better from that conversation because I didn't have the power or the confidence at that time to believe in that future but my husband did he's such an optimist and he's so proactive and it was a bit of a bonkers idea I was we're living in you know just outside London and we were very seemed seemed very entrenched in our lives how are we going to get out of them and he just said we will and here we are and we have Oh, so how different does your life look now? I mean, it sounds like you made some huge changes. Yeah, and I think that's because of my commitment to learning and and wanting meaning from an experience. I didn't want to go through all that without learning. Once I'd realised that the anxiety keeping on coming back was trying to tell me something about the way I was thinking and living, I just wanted to take that and think, right, I'm going to learn from this. And now um, my life is completely different I mean you use the words awesome I live an amazingly privileged awesome life I mean I don't want to add to all this Instagram perfection so what I will say now is even though I'm in the highlands even though wild swimming is part of my normal week and mountain biking down amazing trails and hiking and literally I'm looking out the window on mountains now um, even though I've got all of that and it looks perfect on social media I'm still me. I'm, I still get anxious days. I still have blips. You know, there's no way you can run away from yourself and create a perfect life. However, the conditions I've created, you know, nature is really important to me being in nature properly. That's why I love wild swimming because you're totally immersed in it. Your body is taking over. All you can think about is well up here, how blooming cold it is. (laughs) Your body's tingling. And I have created all these things that help to keep me well and help to keep me balanced. But of course, of course, I have days still where I'm hugely anxious. But because I've created the conditions that I know nurture me, they're not the same. You know, I'm not getting nearly as many anxious days as I used to. I'm fingers crossed, touch wood, um, hopefully won't end up in hospital again. And it's just recognizing what nurtures you and trying to work towards that yeah uh, I just I, I feel that on a really kind of primal level like you've got to just throw away society's expectations and create your own 
ideal situation that yes it's never going to be perfect you're never going to be able to fix all of the problems in yourself or in the world however you can create the best possible situation for you to live your best life absolutely and I would say you know you said throwing away society's expectations I still struggle with that because there are some people that look at me and I would guess would look at me and think I'm a failure in inverted commas those people that are really tied to the conveyor belt. So, you know, I did really well at school. I got this big master's. And there's some people I know who feel like I haven't reached my work potential or whatever. I haven't gone and done some amazing career ball busting thing. I'm not running a big London city team doing, I don't know what I'd be doing because that's totally unsuited to me. But do you know what I mean? I've sort of, when you fall off the conveyor belt, there will be some people who look down on you. And there are definitely people, you know, I've been at dinner parties. Well, I don't really go to dinner parties now, but (laughs) I've been at networking things and stuff where as soon as people find out that I'm some writer that lives in the Highlands, they're like, oh, and you can see them just write you off like you can't do much oh. for me. You're not high profile. You're not this. And because I'm sensitive, that still every so often knocks me. And then you have to bring yourself back to like what you said. Those are societal expectations that have been woven into the conditioning that we live in. And what we have to get good at is connecting with ourselves. And I know that when I'm away from those environments that, are, that don't serve me, full of people that think like that, when I'm on my own and I'm up here, And I'm maybe, you know, out on my bike, looking out on the hills and I'm connecting with myself. I know I'm happy and I'm content and I'm not wanting more. I'm not wanting to to get on the conveyor belt to take me somewhere else to be successful because I feel like in that moment, this is what my life is about. And I just I, I feel like this is a monumental thing that you should be incredibly proud of. Look at you. You're living this incredible authentic conscious life Mm. that is perfectly designed to keep you in balance and to give you and your family these amazing opportunities around nature Mm. which is just so important and frankly everything else can go jump because it's just (laughs) if if I'm confronted by some by you living your amazing life and then someone who's doing really well in some kind of boring office job or you know has all the money in the world and and doesn't do anything with it and you're just like really who's giving more value to the world right now you know that is you you are setting that example that's that's really really sweet of you and I do you know I'm incredibly happy with the decisions I'm making and I've made but I guess what I'm saying is that we live in a culture that what I'm doing is still slightly counterculture so I think that there are a lot of people who are changing and making different decisions I actually think the pandemic has been great for that because a lot of these people that were working say you know getting up at five to go and work in the city and coming back really late and not seeing their kids they've now had a time where they've seen a lot of their family and has that changed them has that changed their outlook and how has it changed their family life and their relationships and all of this and that's something up here in the highlands that is prioritized is the family time it's completely different up here I mean I don't know anyone up here who has a nanny there's no wraparound care at my local school I mean our school is two minutes um, from the house and you can't drop your kid off there at eight o'clock in the morning before school or whatever you can't send them to the after school club because it's just a different attitude up here there's not that kind of mentality and up here the whole attitude about success 
people measure you much more on how much time have you spent out in the hills rather than how much time have you spent earning money behind a, a screen. It's a completely yeah. different mentality. But I guess what I realize with me is I'm very sensitive and sometimes impressionable, my husband would definitely say. So sometimes when I go, you know, I still I'm a freelance journalist, so I still go to conferences uh, and I still go and interview all these high profile people doing amazing things in their careers and everything. And sometimes I come out of those conversations and I feel like, oh, I haven't done enough. But our culture wants us to feel like that. It wants us. It's fueled by not enoughness. It's fueled by making you think that you are not enough and you don't have enough because if they can make you think that, then what do you do? You go and buy stuff. You go and fuel the economy. You go and, you know, it's all predicated on not enoughness. So I do like, I have daily ways now that I look around and I take everything in around me. And I'm like, how could I not think that this is enough? This is more than enough. This is plenty. This is amazing. But it's a reminder because that little girl that was on the conveyor belt, and was so determined to get to the destination called success is still within me. She still triggers me every so often. And I think that's something I've had to accept is that even though I've made all these decisions and made all these changes, you you're, you are still driven by this part that you're never going to fully control. You have to sometimes just accept that and roll with it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, my way of dealing with that kind of external pressure and, and being really, I'm the same as you, I'm really sensitive to that kind of thing. And And someone can quite, quickly make me feel like I'm a total failure in the span of a conversation and I will take that to heart and that will stay with me for days if not weeks yes so my way of dealing with that is to get really angry about the status quo and the pressure that we're under and how Mm -hmm. we're pigeonholed into these boxes and if you don't fit within this box you're not right and all Mm. of that and that anger helps me to go I don't want any of that it just makes me angry. I'm going to go to my happy place, which is living a really simple life and going to the beach and all of those kinds of things. And that's how I kind of deal with it. But we've all got to find our own way of. Yeah. And I love that passion that came through in your voice there and the channeling. The anger is so good, isn't it? Because it's so energy fills. You can really use it. And, and I do that too, as well. I think it's really important. Like you say, you find something that you can do and you, you try and take your energy up rather than down. Cause I think for a long time when I was in those conversations, I let them take me down. And that's why I ended up in the depression and anxiety. But now I'm much, much better at, at, you know, using them as fuel, using them as ways to learn, journaling them, getting them out, you know, and then coming back to just looking around at the the small moments, the small things that are the big difference, that are life, that are the meaning of life. Sounds very grandiose. No, I, I am totally with you. And, and yeah, and that's for me, that's why if I don't get angry, I fall into that depression. I fall into that kind of that apathy that not being able to do anything mm. that I find really frustrating and I know just isn't me you know and so I try and channel my anger that's why I started the podcast I was like I need a different narrative I need people to hear that real people struggle with stuff but there are ways through it and exactly that's- and the narrative you use there is such a good word because it is about changing the narrative and that is so important the story that you tell yourself so you tell yourself a story that you're not a failure. Um, because for so long, I just told myself a story that I was a failure. I mean, that word came up in therapy so much. Yeah. I wish I got a pound for every time I said it. 
rather than having to pay all those pounds for therapy. But never mind. On to another subject. So I'm really keen to follow up with the final question that I ask Mm. everyone that comes on the show. What is your change one thing? Change one thing. So it's difficult when you're in the thick of it, because looking back to my bleakest moments, everything is is really overwhelming. And so changing anything is like a huge deal and seems like a huge amount of energy. So of course, I could say millions of things to this question. There's so many things that I use to help me, some of which I've mentioned already. But I think one thing is move your body outside because it's such an accessible thing to do. And I just think there's so much benefit that can be reaped. It's so hard when you're in that space to get out and move. But once you do, it's so, so good for you. It's so transformative. Um, And I can remember when it used to be difficult to get out the front door, especially with children, get out the front door. But if I could just make myself get out the front door, I used to put my hands on the pram. I used to feel the wind on my face, simple things, and then the feet on the floor. That's what I remember. Just really concentrating on one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot. Just that movement shifts you a bit. It shifts your chemistry a bit. You get the fresh air. And that would definitely be my one thing to do. And then once you get good at doing that one thing, obviously you can build loads of other things into it because that one thing is now key to my entire life. So now every day I will, you know, I'll walk, I'll hike, I'll run with a friend, I'll go out with my notebook, I'll sit down on a bench, I'll journal. So I've added all these other things in to it um, as well. So uh, that would be my one thing is get out, get outside, move your body, and then build on that. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Susie. I could literally talk to you all day. I feel like I've got loads of follow up questions, but I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you no so much. No problem at all. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I'm off to work out who my superhero is. Yeah, and I will get back to you about that. And um, before we got on this podcast, we decided we would surf together at some point. So I will also take you up on that. Magic. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget, if you rate, review and subscribe to the podcast during October, you'll be in with a chance to win a fabulous yin yoga experience, either in person or online with Core Stories Yoga. See you next time.